as I said, we're on a journey with Jesus, and we're starting that journey in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We spent last year looking at the first several chapters of Luke, and this year we're going to get through the rest of the the book of Luke, beginning with chapter 10, and we're going to read the first 22 verses together. And once you find that, then turn right several pages to Ephesians 2.10. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you're using the Blue Bible in front of you, page 868 is the Luke passage and 976 is Ephesians 2.10. Let's stand together as we read God's word. And I'm going to begin with this singular verse from Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God himself prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for your own. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have gone, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. There is a novelist named Jack Kerouac, I think that's how you say his last name. Um, Some of you would know him. He's written sort of adventures and uh, journals about travels, and he wrote a book called The Road. And The Road is about two young boys, two young men who take a journey across the country, just different things that they encounter. And on their trip, these two friends meet a man who asks them this question, are you boys going somewhere or just going? Are you boys going somewhere or just going? And then they thought this. We didn't understand his question at first, but it was a very important question to answer. So that's the question I want to ask you to answer this morning. Are you all going somewhere or are you just going? How would you answer that? See, some people are just going. They live their lives frequently, and uh, just going means they just are a rerun of somebody else's life. They don't have a real purpose, so somehow the influence of other people, they just are sort of rerunning another life. Or you get caught up in sort of the traffic circle of trivia, and you never really make the exit. I mean, you know a lot of different things. You're great at trivia games, but you're just going. You're not going somewhere. You haven't gotten out of that noise to say, I'm going somewhere particularly. Of course, everyone has a right to live in a traffic circle or rerun someone else's life. Everyone has the right to dream and develop their own destination. But if you're on a journey with Jesus, you know this, you're not your own. You know this because that's what the Bible says in Corinthians You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God. So you and I are intended as followers of Christ to be going somewhere, to be going on a journey to a particular location. And our going is forever wrapped up in what God's doing. And I wonder when we look at that uh, verse from Ephesians 2, if you realize God has a vision for your life. You ever thought about that? He didn't just sort of create you and then you just kind of do whatever. He actually has a vision for your life. Listen to how Paul says it. For we are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. You have come out of his shop class, so to speak. He, He has taken some raw materials and he's put something into you that's very unique. You're his workmanship we're a product of his vision and then the verse goes on to say God has prepared beforehand good works which he envisioned us to accomplish so I've made this microphone stand in a certain way and I've envisioned that it wouldn't be used as a hammer wouldn't be very productive I've envisioned it to be a microphone stand. It's a perfectly good microphone stand. Each one of us have been shaped in some way because God had a vision for you, not just to form you, but also to use you in some specific way, some specific role. 
This means that God has shaped you for his particular service. Whether it's your ethnicity, your gender, your geographic location, the time in which you were born, your sorrows, your circumstances, all these somehow shape you. These are all part of like God's workshop in a way to shape you so that there are some hands only you can hold. There are some harms only you can heal. There are some ears tuned by God that can only hear your voice tell them about Jesus. I wonder if you think that. That when you wake up in the morning, you think, God has has put all these circumstances, all these people, all this whatever talent into my life for a particular purpose. He, he has fashioned me for things for today, and there are just some things that I'm like the puzzle piece that fits right into that person's life, that holds that hand perfectly, that is tuned to that ear, just so they could say, I heard Jesus from your voice. What a mission. And you might say, well, I thought being on mission was really reserved for, for like the elite team. Like SEAL Team 6, we have, you know, oh, the missionaries, they're like the SEAL team, and then the rest of us, we just kind of are going. And if you go go to Luke chapter 9, you might say, well, Jesus just sent out the 12 disciples. But now here in chapter 10, he's sending out a much larger group, 70 or 72. So Luke 10 now is informing us that every follower of Jesus... Every follower of Jesus first called to him will soon after be sent out. Every follower will first be called to follow Jesus and very soon after, it's not like 10 years later, will be sent out. That's part of this biblical pattern. Peter, Luke chapter 5, come follow me. Remember that? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 9, Peter, go out. Abraham called back in Genesis. Abraham, I'm calling you to myself so that I, I can bless you so that, what? what? How does that end? So that you can be a blessing. See, I'm calling you to myself. I'm calling you out of, out of a sort of a pagan background, and I want you to know me. But I want you to know me for a particular purpose, to bless all nations of the whole world. Moses turns aside. He encounters the living God in a burning bush. Come, come, Moses, take your sandals off. You're standing on holy ground. Let's just stay here forever, Moses. That's not actually how it goes, is it? I'm calling you very close to me because I'm going to give you this really big assignment. I want you to go back to Egypt. You see this biblical pattern? Everyone called to Jesus will be sent out. Everyone will be on mission. So let me come back to the opening question. Are you going somewhere with Jesus? Or are you just going? Certainly everybody's mission assignment is, will look different. Yet there, from this particular text, there are several things everyone can learn. And the best way for me to tell it to you is roll, response, and rejoice. 
Roll, response, and rejoice. What's, what, there's several things he says. We only have time to mention a few of them. What's our role? What kind of response can we imagine that we would get from being on mission? And then there's this rejoicing at the end, both by the disciples and Jesus. So let's, let's set the background. Luke chapter 9, 51, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. So he's mostly been in the northern part of Israel, and he's coming down to Jerusalem. He's about two years into his three-year missionary journey, and he's going to start moving north. And as he moves north, he's going to visit all these little towns, small towns. And it says he's going to go into these, and he sends in an advance team, a pair. Two people have been following him around for a year or two, no longer, and say, hey, I want you to go in, and I just want you to sort of have a, a simple message. I want you to sort of plow the ground for me and just say, the kingdom of God is near because the king is now here. Just say that. Just stir up conversations. Go into a house and just start having these conversations so when I come, when the king comes, they're prepared. Their ears are prepared to hear what I have to say. It's interesting, if you look at chapter 10, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two. And then you see the word there in the ESV, in two. A better translation of that is face-to-face. It's just not into a town, it's face-to-face. And I want, what I want you to know is that many times before someone sees Jesus' face, they're going to see your face. That's the first face they're going to see. And they're going to say, I began to see Jesus' face through Paul Phillips' face. Your face. Because you're their neighbor. You're in their family. You're on their team. You're in their dorm room. Wherever it is, they see your face. Same thing happens today. And he sends out, and there's a lot of, uh, sort of scholarly debate, is it 70, is it 72, and how does that connect to other pieces in the Bible? And if you're a Bible nerd, it's very interesting to take this apart. Let me just give you one, because I am a Bible nerd, so I like to see these connections. Genesis chapter 10, remember the Tower of Babel? There's a division of nations, and God divides the nations into 70 different nations. And now Jesus has come and he's sending out messengers to every nation. It's like the takeover. Something happened back then, but now God's coming for every nation. It's obviously through Abraham and then it's going to be through Jesus, but he's coming out for every nation. And there are specific roles that we play as we're on mission. Certain things that every person on mission should be doing. And let me mention three. Verse two, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. You know what pray earnestly means in the Greek? Pray earnestly. That's what it means. Pray earnestly. See, Jesus is stating right up front, I'm going to send you in a village. There's going to be too much for you to do. I mean, the, the, the whole world is ripe for harvest, and you can't possibly do it by yourself. So you're going to be overwhelmed with the situations and people's dire need, and all these kinds of things are going to come at you, and you're going to just be overwhelmed. You're going to need to pray earnestly that God sends other people so the capacity can be reached. 
you were at our first week this past week of tutoring, you would have seen some beautiful moments. Forty kids coming in and going upstairs and there for Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and all the college interns are swirling around trying to take care. You know, when you're talking about it the week before, this is what we're going to do, this is our disciplinary action, it's a lot easier than when you have them actually there. You realize that, don't you? And I bet they felt overwhelmed. Every one of these stories is an overwhelming story. One little boy was crossed the Rio Grande just not long ago. Carried by his mother. Because her husband had been put to death in his country for not giving the mafia money. He speaks no English. And somehow he landed in Wilmington. I just want you to know how beautiful that is. That somehow from a, a, a country in Central America, somebody landed right here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And they're coming to Christ Community Church. There's only that some hands are fashioned, Hannah Redball, to hold somebody else's hand. We're workmanship. God's working all these things beautifully together. And he's doing the same thing with you, or he can be doing the same thing with you. But when you get involved, Jesus wants you to know you're going to need to pray earnestly. Notice he doesn't say program earnestly. Create a vision statement earnestly. Raise money earnestly. Strategize earnestly. I mean, I think God's for all those things. But he has a priority. And our tendency, especially mine, is got to have a strategy, got to have a plan, got to sit down and get everybody's thoughts together. I mean, that's a, that seems like you're getting something done. And Jesus is saying, before any of that, pray earnestly. I can do something, Paul, in a snap of the fingers that your, your money, your strategy, your great vision statement can never accomplish. So pray, pray earnestly. Two folks that we support as missionaries to the Middle East, Lance and Lisa Lawrence. All of you got a chance to meet or hear from him, uh, them when they're here this summer. And they had an evening here, uh, I think it was back in early July, just talking about their ministry. I think the evening lasted an hour and a half or something. They had Arabic coffee and lots of neat things just to hear and get a sense of what's going on in the country that they're in. Do you know what they did for half of their time? The people who were there know. Half of their time, they told these incredible stories. Half of their time, you know what we did together? We prayed earnestly. And I sat there and thought, I wonder if I would have done that. Or if I would have just said, hey, let me tell you for 85 minutes what I'm doing and let's close in prayer. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. If you say to yourself, I feel like I'm a person who's just going. I'm not going somewhere. Pray earnestly. If you just start praying earnestly, Lord, I don't know whose hand to hold. I don't know whose ear could be tuned to my voice. Pray earnestly. I promise you, if you just start praying for your neighbors or workplace or wherever you live your life, you just say, I'm praying earnestly. I'm, I'm available. 
God, God will open doors. Now, you're going to have to have courage to step through, but if you're praying earnestly, that will happen. Second part of this role, verse 4 through 7. I, I love these verses, so I want to read them again to you. Let's start, uh, actually, let's start back in verse 2. Well, verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I mean, just right there, wouldn't you want to say, I, I don't know, I volunteered for that assignment, but maybe not. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal. Greet no one on the road. And then he goes in, if you, you know, wherever house you enter, just, if they, they are welcoming, just stay there, eat what they eat, don't move around, don't complain about the food. Because you've got to get to telling people about the kingdom of God, verse 9. And two things I love about these verses. One, clearly there's an urgency. You've got to get moving. Here's number, number one. I don't want you to chit-chat on the road and waste all your time. In, in the Middle East, uh, the greetings can be really long. It's like just, hi, but I'm in a hurry. Like, I'm moving. I've got something to do. I'm on assignment. There's a sense of urgency. And the second thing is he doesn't want them rolling into the town with a U-Haul. Did you notice that? Don't carry a bunch of extra suits and shoes. One suit, one pair of shoes, that's fine. This is what I think Jesus is trying to say here. Disciples, listen to me. I don't need you and what you wear to be at all impressive. I need to be what you say is impressive. Don't worry about what you're wearing. Is it a clean suit? Are they going to like my shoes? Don't worry about that stuff. Because if you start worrying about that stuff, you're going to get in the way. So I want, what I want you to do is just bring the one, you know, blue blazer and khaki or what black dress, whatever you wear that, that sort of fits in every situation. Just wear that and have the same pair of shoes. Don't worry about your food or where you're staying because I need you to get out there and tell the message. The message is the big thing. Sadly, there's an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. You ever seen this? Don't feel obligated to look it up. But it's dedicated to noticing hip preachers, sneakers. And then it gives you the price of the sneakers they're wearing. Usually one to two thousand dollars. I'm not on this website. <laughs> but but just when you hear it, doesn't that feel like the opposite? Like I'm trying to capture your attention. I think the I think the goal, I'm trying to give them the best motive, trying to fit in and capture attention. Think I want you to think I'm cool, so you're listening, and then if you think I'm cool, you're gonna love Jesus. I, I'm trying to give them the best motive. But you see what's happening there? I'm moving in the way of the message, and I'm trying to get you to notice me in some way. And I think Jesus is saying, hey, I don't need that. I need this. Just tell them about the kingdom. That's what's going to be amazing because I'm the one speaking to their heart, not you. So, Paul, don't get in the way with what you wear. I'm 
pretty sure I'm not doing that here normally. You're saying, I'm pretty sure he wears the same thing every Sunday. (laughs) Right? I just don't want you to step on God's Word. I don't need you to be the Savior. I need you to come in and just give a message. And when that hits the right heart, bam. You don't need to be worried about how impressive you're going to be or if you're going to have all the right answers. Just tell people about Jesus. Pray earnestly. Number three, the role. We're still on point one, number three, if you're taking notes. Behold or pay attention. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So Jesus is telegraphing. It doesn't happen at this particular moment, but it will. For some of you, being sent out means you're not going to return. That's what that picture means. Or maybe your dreams are going to get devoured, not you. Maybe your money is going to get devoured. Maybe your time is going to get devoured. Is it okay to be sent out if you get devoured? Is that okay with you? 1812, Adoniram Judson, first missionary from America, set sail for India, ended up in a very hostile place next to India called Burma. And before he left, he fell in love with a young lady named Anne Hazeltine. She's 24. And Adoniram has to write a letter to her dad saying, I'd love to marry your daughter, but this is what I'm asking her. This is the journey I'm asking her to join with me. Here's what he wrote in the letter. Imagine you being the dad or the mom receiving this. I write to ask whether you can consent. I write to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter next spring to see her no more in this world. Can you consent to her departure? Her subjection to hardships and sufferings. Consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean the fatal influence of the climate of India, to every kind of distress, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of Jesus who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? Many of your parents here, how would you respond to that? I know how I would want to respond. I mean, there are lost people in North Carolina. Just stay here. Just try to reach them. After reading the letter, Anne heard from her father saying, I'm agreeing, but I need you to make up your own mind. She wrote to a friend, I feel willing and expect to spend my days in this world in hostile lands. Yes, I've come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go wherever God shall see fit to place me. What a line. 
to go wherever God shall see fit to place me. So Anne, newly married, 24, set sail for India. She has one miscarriage. She gives two live births. Both die before they turn one-year-old. She gets smallpox and dies at 37. Are you willing to go where God shall see fit to place you? Or, or have you said, hey, God, I'm totally open to this. Response. So you go, there's a response. There's really just two responses. Some receive, some reject. And I only have time to just focus on those who receive here, verse 18 and 19, because it leads us to these very, two very unusual verses The 72 return, verse 17, and Jesus says to the disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Sure sounds like something's going to hurt me back there in verse 2 or verse verse 3. Nothing's going to eternally hurt you, not temporarily. Jesus is informing these 36 pairs of something very, very important. We don't see it very often in the Bible, so it's, it's worth stopping and talking about. He is telling these 36 pairs that their mission had a ripple effect in the spiritual world. See, they, they went and said we, we interacted, but Jesus is saying, hey, guys, let me lift your head. There's a whole other world up here, and that's the way the Bible talks about a seen and unseen world, and that your actions, my actions today, are having an effect both on the seen world and the unseen world. In these verses, Jesus is informing us that our sacrifices, our services, our speaking has an effect, has a ripple effect in the unseen world. In this short little mission trip, Satan himself falls. He's defeated in some form. And his minions, his demonic forces, said as serpents and scorpions, not literally, but figuratively. Something's happening as we obey God, not just here, but up here. I wonder if you think about that when you get up in the morning. A little bit later, Luke 15, remember what it says? When one person comes to the Lord, what happens? The angels rejoice. See, see, see something's happening. There's, there's two worlds happening at the same time. And he's trying to help them see, even though you might not see too much right here, Anne Hazeltine. But you, living a faithful life, painful as it was, for 13 years may have leveled the spiritual playing field for your husband to step in for the next 40 years. And when he died, 100 churches were planted in Burma. See, is it okay to get devoured? If what that does levels a spiritual playing field so the next person up can have all this fruit, is that okay? It was okay with Anne. That is what he's calling some of us to do. 
I don't know if you know this book, Philip Yancey, Disappointment with God. If you struggle with the Lord that you don't understand why he operates the way he does, this is a great book, Disappointment with God. And here's how he talks about this. According to the Bible, human history is far more than the rising and falling of people and nations. It's a staging ground for the battle of the universe. What seems like an ordinary action in the seen world may have extraordinary effect in the unseen world. Just like in Luke 10, a short-term mission trip assignment caused Satan to fall like lightning from heaven. We humans inhabit a mere speck of the planet in the outer suburbs of a spiral galaxy, yet the New Testament insists that what happens here among us will help determine the future of the universe. Every act of faith by every follower of Jesus is like the tolling of a bell announcing to the powers of the universe that a restoration is underway. Every little action is like a tolling of the bell in heaven. Hey, Satan, a restoration is underway. See, it helps us to step back and see what's happening so we don't get stuck in the traffic circle of trivia. So so we don't get stuck just saying, well, I'm going, but... You need to be going somewhere. What story are you going to tell for all eternity? Hey, I, I went somewhere, and you wouldn't believe what God did. I prayed earnestly. You wouldn't believe the doors that opened up. See, you and I being on mission really matters. Really matters. Rejoice. We have a certain role. There's a response some receive, some don't receive. And then at the end, I love this, there's rejoicing. I don't know how long the mission trip lasts. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month. We don't know. But they all come back, and you can imagine what the reunion would have been like, right? 72 people coming back, having all these different encounters. You know what that's like. Let me tell you my story. And they're just all interrupting each other. I'm sure it's chaotic. You know the disciples are trying to top one another. You do realize that, right? I mean, in the last chapter, they're just arguing about who's the greatest. So you know they're formulating their story. It's kind of like the fish story. I caught this, but by the time I tell it, it's this big. They, they just can't wait to tell their story. So they're all around this table, and Jesus is letting it, just let them rip. Just let them rip. This, we're just going to have this big, great big storytelling hour or evening. And then Jesus, maybe, I don't know, to top all the toppers, says, hey, guys, I saw Satan fall. Who's going to top that one? I mean, I don't know exactly the motive here, but he's like, mic drop. I mean, all you guys are trying to do the mic drop moment. I saw Satan fall. Well, okay. I mean, nobody can top that one. And then some point in here, he leans in, I imagine, and he interjects this warning into the conversation. Hey, team. Remember what you really want to rejoice over? Your name's in heaven. Feels like a warning to me. See, because when you get power, it quickly morphs into pride. 
And they had things to really, truly rejoice over. And I think Jesus wanted to give space for that. But some rejoicing, just one more step is, it's about me. Pride was the cause of Satan's fall. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before what? The fall or destruction. So rejoice, rejoice. Your mission matters, but, but be careful can be corrosive just just remember this your name is written and let me close with this jesus rejoices you don't see this too many times in the bible but some sometime later you don't know sort of if it's later that evening when he's sort of by by himself in that same hour in that same space he rejoiced in the holy spirit and i want to just read these two verses And I want to ask you to give a one-word description of what he's rejoicing over. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed to them to, to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son, who the Son is, except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What is Jesus rejoicing over if you just had one word to choose? The word I would choose is grace. He's rejoicing over grace. He rejoices over God's plan. You're you're not giving this message to people who are wise in their own eyes. You're giving it to children who say, I need help. Verse 22, then he rejoices. He rejoices that he has all authority over salvation. Did you notice that? Only those Jesus chooses to reveal himself to will be saved. And when he looks at that, he goes, oh, that's so awesome. He loves that. He loves that in salvation that he gets the last word. That it's not ultimately up to you or up to me or to the person I'm talking to. It's really up to him. And when he says, hey, when it's up to me because I'm full of grace and love, then that's something to be gracious about. That's something to celebrate. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln dealing with a dispute in a cabinet meeting. And at the end of the disagreement, where he was outvoted, Lincoln says, seven nays and one yay. The yays have it. (laughs) Why? He's the president. Jesus is the president. The yays have it. That's great news. But I wonder if you think it's great news. Because when you come back next week, and you will come back next week, right? We're going to run into a man who doesn't want grace. He wants approval. So you have to think about it. Do you really like grace that Jesus gets to choose? Or do you really like approval that you get a little badge of merit for your own salvation? We have a role. We, we get to see things happen. We get to rejoice. 
what story do you want to tell? If you're here 10 years from now, you're here 20 years from now, if you're up in heaven at We Will Feast in the House of Zion, you're going to tell stories. But it's going to be stories that you're involved with right now. And my question is, are you going somewhere? Or are you just going? Let's go somewhere. Let's pray. 